I'm going to have us look in Acts chapter 2. Have us look in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look 1 through 11 tonight. And we're going to take a look at the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When does it occur? And more importantly, what is its result? <laughs> chapter 2. Chapter 2. And here when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, Acts chapter 2 starts out. They had already, if we go back to chapter 1, they had even, um, the apostles, Jesus had risen from the dead. He had given them a great commission. In Acts 1.8, he says, more or less, it's a continuation of what you find in Matthew 28.19 and 20, where he said, Go ye therefore. Acts 1.8 says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. He goes on. Jesus is ascended up into heaven. They know that they had 12 disciples. One hung himself because he really was a devil, Judas Iscariot. So they had a vote. They asked God for his wisdom. And they voted in another man in his place that had been there all this time. So now we have 12 apostles, 12 preachers. That was the first church. But I could just let you know right now, the first church did not begin to right here. Because you already find they're together. It says, on the, when the day of Pentecost, now Pentecost is a Jewish holiday, which occurs 50 days after Passover. So they're in the supper room. They're all together in one place. They're together in one place place one place not two not ten one place and what does the scripture tell us they were in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind it says then came from heaven this sound something like you could think of well, maybe a tornado hurricane a mighty rushing wind. See, we're not going to preach tonight and take any words out of context or twist them for you. I'm sick and tired of these preachers that scrutinize it eyes and uh, pull apart and put it under a microscope and say this is what this means. No. Very clearly, this is a, the sound. It sounded very much like a mighty rushing wind, or you could say like a tornado, but the scripture doesn't say what kind of rushing wind. It just said a mighty rushing wind. So that's what it sounded like. He, he's describing what it sounded like. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now, this is pretty detailed. These men were not in this house standing. They were not walking around. At the time this occurred, they were all sitting. Sitting. See, God would not put this stuff in his word unless he wanted us to learn something from it. Why were they sitting? 
because they were waiting upon the promise. The Bible, Jesus had told them in previous in the chapter 1, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for me, and I will send the comforter, and when he comes, then you'll be filled. See, he had, the comforter had been promised, but not had not arrived yet, so they're waiting. They are waiting in this chapter, and they are waiting, and all of a sudden this mighty rushing wind, they hear this sound of a mighty rushing wind, it fills the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now, it looked like cloven tongues. Well, a cloven hoof on an animal, when you study the Old Testament where it talked about what kind of animals you could eat, the ones that split the hoof or the ones that did not split the hoof. So the cloven hoof, a cloven hoof is like a rounded hoof. In this case, it was like a round-shaped or oblong-shaped. It looked just like a tongue that was in somebody's mouth, a tongue, but it was of fire. Fire. Now, what does fire represent in, our, in the Bible? Well, when you read your King James, when you study it out, everywhere that you read the word fire, it's in reference to judgment. Judgment. Fire is in reference to judgment. Even in Isaiah's vision in chapter 6, 1 through 9, he said that the angel, when he said, Woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips, he went to the, the angel went to the altar and took a burning coal, fire, off the altar and put it on his lips and said, This is touch thy lips and cleanse thee and thy sin is purged. So fire was to purge, to clean, and to purify. That is what fire is for in the Bible. So when we read this, these tongues were lighting or resting upon these men for one purpose. To purify, to cleanse, and to have them ready for what they must do. Okay? Now, we're going to continue here for a minute. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, we need to stop right here for a minute. Going to have to pull over and park. <laughs> and when the Spirit filled them, they all began to speak. That doesn't mean they were... No, they spoke. You couldn't hear it. It wasn't like you could. they were whispering and you couldn't hear them. No, they spoke. They spoke. So it was audible. It was hearable. They spoke with other tongues. Other tongues. Well, what does it mean by tongues? Well, in order to understand that, you've got to continue to read. 
you just can't stop at this verse and say, well, see, the Spirit came on them. They, they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, hold on, Mr. Pentecostal. Hold on, Mr. Tongues uh, speaker. Let me see what kind of tongues they're talking about here in Acts chapter 2. Now we're going to take another look at, at, at another scripture here in a minute, but we're first going to look right here in Acts chapter 2 and take a look at this. And it says, they, heard the, they spoke with other tongues as God gave them utterance. That means... The ability to, to speak. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Excuse me? Now, the men that were in the upper room, we're going to find out, were all just of one area, Galilee. But it says the men that came to Jerusalem, because this is the day of Pentecost, this is a, a, a holy day for the Jews. They were supposed to come to sacrifice. So while these other Jews are here at, Pen at, at, at Pentecost, at this holy day when they're supposed to give sacrifices, when they're supposed to praise the Lord, all of a sudden they hear these Galileans speaking in some tongues. We're going to find out what those tongues are in a minute. But these other men were from every... These were Jewish men from every nation that means they had different languages themselves you could say there's french jews there german jews whatever they were all different types of jews but what kind of jews were these men let's find out let's see what the bible has to say not what i have to say what the bible has to say on this one it says now when this was noised abroad the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Uh, I think we got an answer what tongues are. This multitude that came for Passover came by. They all came together. And they were all astonished. Astounded. Astonished. Confounded. They're scratching their head like this. What in the world is going on? Each of these men are speaking in our own, what's that little L word, Ruthie? Language. Language. So what are tongues? Languages. They are known, usable languages. French, Italian, German. Irish, Spanish, Tagala, uh, Bahama, whatever they speak in the Bahamas, Hawaiian, Canadian. These are what we're talking about. Languages. What is a language? A language, according to the dictionary, if you check it out, it is a form of communication by the use of words. That's language. In America, we speak English. That's called a language. In France, they speak in French. It's a language. In Portugal, they speak in Portuguese. Those are languages. So a language is a form of communication of a certain people within a certain geographical area. A language, that's what that is. Their form of communication. So these are 
different men, and they said, we hear them speak in our own language. So they heard them speak. They heard them speak in our own language. You see that? And they're all Galilean. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? It says, <laughs> they all start scratching their head. Now, wait a minute. Wait, 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 boys. All these men who are speaking are Galilean. But every one of them are Galileans. How in the world can they know my language? What do they all do? Go to college? What do they do? Go and study my language? What's going on here? Why is it all these men now are speaking these different languages? Why can they speak in my language that, that I've been born in? <laughs> Some pretty good stuff here. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? How? How is it that we hear these men that are Galileans speaking the language from which we were born? Hello, Jim Johnson? You're listening by tape. What were you, what language do you speak? I mean the one you were born with. English, just like the one you're hearing on this tape, English. If, you, if a person comes from Mexico, their language, odds are, is Spanish. And that's the language which in they were born. So it was a language that was natural to these people that are hearing these Galileans. They said, this is a natural language of which we're, we know, but these guys don't even know our language. They're Galileans, and yet they're speaking my language, the one that I was born with. Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, in Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, what did they hear them speak? What did they hear them speak? All these men, it tells you the places where these men, where they were born. One nation after another is listed right there. Parthians and Medes and uh, Egyptians. and I mean, the list is a long one. The list is a long one. Of all these nations where these men come from, all these different languages, and they said, but we hear them speak... We hear them speak. They heard them speaking. Right? Does that make any sense to you? No. The scripture says, We heard them speak the wonderful work of God. Well, pray tell, preacher, what in the world would that be? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 to 5. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. Ruthie, you, could, you feel up to just reading that much for me? Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, 
which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So what were they speaking? A bunch of gibberish that meant nothing to nobody? No. It says they were speaking the wonderful works of God, and Paul himself right here in this text verifies what they spoke. He says, I declare unto you that which I also first that I received, how that Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to the Scripture. Well, preacher, how do you know that that's what they were preaching, and how do you know that that's what they were speaking in Acts chapter 2? Well, that's simple enough. All you got to do is drop down to about verse 39 and 40 and 41. Let's take a look at those three verses. 39, chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 39, 40, and 41. Ruth, I'm going to let you read this for me too, okay? Okay, she's getting there. <laughs> hey, this, hey, in this church you're going to know your Bible or you're going to learn to flip quick. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Well, that's wonderful, darling. Now, what did, what did they testify and exhort? The same stuff that they were speaking in tongues. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And he says, save your soul, your, yourselves from this untoward generation. You know what he's talking about? Get saved. He's talking about how Jesus died for their sins. You can't get up there and preach, uh, preach and say, for an hour and expect somebody to get saved out of that. But I could get up here and tell you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved I could preach that and somebody's going to come to heaven someone's going to accept Jesus because they're going to hear the word of God so these men were not doing some gibberish these men were preaching By the use of tongues. Because at this point, in Acts chapter 2, all that those Jewish men had was the Torah, which is the Pentateuch, or the law. That's all they had. They had the Old Testament. They did not have, as of yet, they had heard Jesus preaching and stuff. But they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They didn't have the book of Acts. They didn't have the book of Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. They didn't have 1st, 2nd Peter, Hebrews, James, John, 1, 2, and 3. They didn't have uh, Jude. They didn't have Revelation. They didn't have the book of Hebrews. They didn't have Philemon. They didn't have Titus, Timothy, 1st, 2nd Timothy, or 1st, 2nd Thessalonians. They didn't have all that. 
They didn't have all those books of the Bible, but they sure enough did know about Jesus. And God had to use, through a supernatural means, a way of communicating to those non-believers. And God saw fit to use the gift of languages that... Now notice, what happened during the Tower of Babel? During the Tower of Babel, all the men said, let's get together, let's build our also a city and a tower that will climb to heaven. All because they had the same language. God came down and changed their languages, confounded it, mixed it up. Now in the, in the book of Acts, because he's trying to save people's souls, he comes down and uses the gift of languages to allow these men to translate for these other people that have come for the day of Pentecost. He has allowed his Holy Ghost to be the translator to tell them the wonderful works of God. So they weren't speaking gibberish. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, these men had been saved. The only reason they had not been baptized upon with the Holy Ghost, upon salvation with the Holy Ghost, is because they had been saved, they had been with Jesus. Jesus had to die first. Jesus had to send the Comforter. This is the first time that the Comforter comes. Now, if you go check with the, uh, the, the Ethio Ethiopian eunuch, you check with um, uh, the Roman, the, 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 the guy who called Peter and them over to preach the gospel. When they called, the minute they got saved, Holy Ghost fell upon them. Right then. It's only in Acts chapter 2 that you find the baptism of the Holy Ghost as a separate and distinct second work, if you will. Only in Acts chapter 2. But, even right here, Acts chapter 2, the disciples were the only ones that experienced that delaying of the Holy Ghost because they had already been saved under Jesus' ministry. They were waiting for the Holy Ghost from Acts 1.8. But Peter gets up. He preaches a sermon. 3,000 people get saved. He said to them, be saved. He says, repent and be baptized. What's he talking about here? He's got actually a twofold purpose in what he's saying. First, repent Get saved, and then we're going to dunk you. That's the first thing he means there. Secondly, is he's saying, repent and be baptized in the Holy Ghost for the remission of sin. He's talking about baptizing the Holy Spirit. You get saved, immediate, just like that, like that. You're baptizing the Holy Ghost immediately. There is no second work of grace. Baptism of the Holy Ghost where you speak in tongues. No, Baptism of the Holy Ghost occurs immediately at salvation. Now, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you find that there's diversities of gifts, but all one spirit. And you find in there that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that God has given to each man severally as the spirit will. So not everybody is going to speak in tongues. 
Not everybody was going to end up speaking in tongues. Not everybody was going to end up speaking and, and, and preaching. Not everybody was going to prophesy. Not everybody was going to have a word of knowledge. But they all would be unified. Then you jump to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. You know what you find it says there? If you're going to have people come up and uh, speak in tongues, if they're going to speak in tongues, there's got to be, it's got to be done decent and in order. What happens if you have a three-way call and everybody starts to talk at once? Chaos. Nobody is going to understand the next person. They ain't going to understand what's going on. But, if I get up, I speak, the next guy gets up, he speaks, everything's cool because everybody understands everybody. And anyway, Paul went on to say, 1 Corinthians 14, he said, look, if you speak in an unknown tongue, keep your pie hole closed and keep it between you and God. Because if you speak in tongues, your tongues are for the edifying of the church. The unknown tongue edifies only yourself. So if you're speaking more or less a language, that's what that means, an unknown language means if you got people in the church, one is French, one's Italian, and one's German, and then someone over here starts speaking English and none of them guys know it, the English guy needs to keep his pie hole closed because no one's going to know what he's saying. So he needs to keep it between him and God. But if those men understand a little bit of English... And some, or, or maybe someone else in that group comes in, he's able to translate and translate it into German for the German guy or what have you, then it edifies the others. That's what they're talking about, an unknown tongue. is a language that nobody in that building or that room knows. So when you speak with an unknown tongue, he says, look, if no one knows what the devil you're saying, shut up! It's not this that you're hearing in the Pentecostal churches today. No. We're talking that Jesus said it's a language. It's all too clear that tongues have been a language all through the Bible. He never changed his word. He didn't mumble or stutter. When he said tongues, he meant tongues. The baptism of the Holy Ghost never came upon a person immediately at the very beginning of Acts chapter 2. It had to be delayed because they had already been saved, but were waiting because Jesus had died and said he'd send the comforter. But when that comforter came, now that he's already here, immediately after salvation, you get saved, right there it is. You get the baptism of the Holy Ghost immediately. Now, you want to see a real unique verse? Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What does it say? It says, Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Whether tongues, they shall cease. For I know in part, I prophesy in part. But, that which, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is done in part shall be done away. Those are verses 9 and 10. Thank you, Ruthie. So what are we trying to say here? Verses 9 and 10, 1 Corinthians 13. We're trying to say this. See, the that, when you read the Scripture, look, 
verse 10, it does not say, but when he which is perfect is come. Meaning, when Jesus comes back to this earth. It says, but when that which is perfect is come. That is neither male nor female. Every time Jesus is referred to in the New Testament, even after his death and resurrection and ascension, you always hear of Jesus referred to as he or him. You never hear of him referred to as a that. So what is it that you know the Holy Ghost is referred to as he or him? The Father is he or him. So what is the only one thing that God gave us that is neither male nor female? His Word. The Bible. So when the, you could say, when the Bible which is perfect... The KJV, the 1611. When the Bible which is perfect is come, then that which is in part, tongues, knowledge, prophecy, shall be done away. No way to change that, boys. That's Bible. So we have no need for tongues. Although, yes, you may learn a foreign language. You may learn a foreign language and go down here to Mexico. But he's not saying you go around and speak some gibberish that means nothing to nobody. No how, no way. Get a life. Get real. Get a life. Jesus never expected us to speak a bunch of gibberish. He said that that would be done away when he got done with his word. You know why he needed tongues back then in prophecy? Let me tell you why. Because they didn't have all the Bible. If you notice, though, when the book of Revelation was completed, what does it say in Revelation 22? All too clear here, boys. It says, Thou shalt not add unto the words of the book of this prophecy. Because if you add unto the words of the book of this prophecy, you'll have the plagues that are written therein added to you. 2218, Ruth? Thank you. Oh, come on, Ruthie. We're going to let you read it. 2218. I know it goes on from there. Here, here, read it. Read, read, read. Right, okay, verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book. Any man shall add unto these things. God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. In verse 19. Any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy. God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. That covers the context. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Don't you add to this book. Don't you take away from this book. Because you take away or add to this book, you're in some deep trouble. See, you don't fool with God's word is what he's saying. And did you know that's not the only place he did? He said that? In Deuteronomy, he said the same thing. He said, don't add to it. And, believe it or not, Psalms, he said it. Now think about it. Deuteronomy, where's that? Pretty close to the beginning of the book. Where's Psalms? <laughs> open your, if you grab your Bible, open it to where it looks like the middle to you, you'll land in Psalms usually. So Psalms is in the middle. Revelation's at the end. So you know what, you're, what God did? He covered the whole book, said from beginning to end, don't you add to this book. And at the end, he said, don't you dare take away. 
Why? Because he is saying all through the book, don't add because I'm going to do the adding. But at the end he said, don't take away because I'm done with it now. So the Mormon church who gives you that book of moron saying it's another testament of Jesus Christ and they don't even have a sign for any kind of covenant for that testament they've added to the Bible is what they did is they're going to be added some plagues to them. They may look like they're prospering now but wait, God's got, God's got something for them. The JWs who taken away the deity of Christ out of that Bible uh, hey boys, you already know where you're going. You, you, your name is taken out of the Lamb's book of life. I don't want to go there. Uh, God help me not to take away from his word because I ain't about to have my name taken out of Lamb's book of life. I want to get in. <laughs> Ooh, glory. So let me tell you right now. Let me tell you right now. If you want to get to heaven, you have to say to the Lord Jesus, I'm willing. And you can't start this gibberish. See, tongues, the baptism of the Holy Ghost and tongues, all come. See, tongues are languages. And yes, they were used in the, in the New Testament. But nowhere in the Bible does it say, in order to be saved, thou shalt, confess and, uh, thou shalt uh, speak in tongues. Nowhere in the Bible says you had to speak tongues. But it does say, Thou shalt believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's Acts 16.31. does say that. It does say in Romans 10, verse 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you want to be saved, that's how you get saved. But tongues ain't going to get it. Tongues are able to be used of God to tell people the wonderful works of him but they're not there to tell people a bunch of gibberish and to make them feel bad because they don't have that gift no if you ain't got the gift ain't because you're in sin it's because well the only reason you ain't got the tongues is because they ain't for today. I'd like us to go over here to Mark. Mark. Chapter 16. Verses 15 to 20. Now, Jim, you want to follow along with some of this because I know that you've heard a lot of this gospel. And I'd like you to see from the Bible, not from what I'm saying. I don't want you to believe what I'm saying. I want you to believe what God says. What the Bible says, Mark 16, 15 to 20. Let's see what it has to say here. Ruthie will be our reader tonight. There we go. Okay. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, the very first thing we find here, he did not say anything about anything else but to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? According to 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, it says, The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of all mankind. 
according to the Scriptures. So, the Gospel is not anything but the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. As you find in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he said, If any man preach any other gospel, healthy, wealthy, name it, claim it, stab it and grab it, gospel unto you, then we, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And then Paul, you know, he had to be talking to a bunch of hard-headed Christians. He says, as I said before, so saying now again, if we are an angel from heaven, that means that some angel plopped down from heaven and preached some false gospel that is not found in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of all mankind, let him be accursed. It means let him go to hell. Don't listen to him. So it says, preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because you don't know who out there will accept and who won't. So you proclaim the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of all mankind. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. It says, he that believeth and is baptized. You first get saved. You first get born again. Then you get dunked. And is baptized shall be saved. So you first got to be saved. Then you get dunked. But at the same time that you're saved, it says, and is baptized. That has two meanings there. See, when you're saved, you get baptized in the Holy Ghost at the moment of salvation. So you get saved and baptized. So you're baptized spiritually in the Holy Ghost at the moment of conversion. And then you get baptized after salvation as a testimony of your salvation symbolized by the death, burial, resurrection of your body above the water, under the water, and brought out of the water again. But, for right now, we're studying the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and it says that the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel, and you are to be saved and baptized. Baptized in the Holy Ghost at the moment of conversion. You get the Holy Ghost in your heart, and then you'll be saved. And if you're, you're either saved or you're damned. You get saved and go to heaven, or you don't believe and you go to hell. It's that simple. Jesus or hell. Christ or hell. No other choices. You want me to just do it one at a time or finish out the rest of that section? And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. It's the same verse. I know, but I want you to stop those two. Okay. They shall cast out devils. These are the signs that will follow. Hello, Pentecostals. Hello, name it and claim it, stab it and grab it, healthy, wealthy. These are supposed to be your signs that you guys claim. You'll cast out devils. You'll speak with new tongues. These are new languages. You'll be able to speak in a foreign language that you have not went to school to learn, so you speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Now, I need to stop right there. I need to stop right there. There's a reason I wanted to go slow through this, Ruthie. 
They shall take up serpents. Now, this is not a direct command for a Christian to go out and get a bunch of snakes and bring them to the church house and pass them around like candy. This ain't a direct command for you to grab a bunch of rat poison, pass it around like lollipops, just to test God. And that's exactly what people do. They go and test God because they want to have their, uh, their, their thing, oh, I got the Holy Ghost, see, I can hold this snake. Yeah, well, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna handle the wrong one because you're trusting in that snake, you're trusting in that so-called Holy Ghost you got more than you trust in, in the Jesus who's supposed to have given you the Holy Ghost. Amen. They shall lay hands on their sick and they shall recover. Now, we're supposed to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. According to the signs that were given, this was one of them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they will, they shall recover. There's no choice in that, okay? But let's continue on because here comes the big key one. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. Ooh, sounds great. Now, see, they would, Jesus came and he, after he had commanded these things, he went up into heaven. Another command he said that they would do, they cast out devils, they would raise the dead, was another one that we all know. When you study these, they would raise the dead. Why is it that we don't find them raising the dead? Oh, they got all these other signs and wonders that they're out there doing. Oh, they could speak in tongues. Oh, that, that, that's the big key one. They love speaking in their tongues, but none of them are languages. They, they, they preach their healthy, wealthy cult, but you never see one of them raising the dead. Oh, some of them claim that some people have been prayed for like Ernest Angley. Oh, I've healed this many people. Okay, that's nice. But how many people have you raised from the dead, sir? How many people have been raised from the dead? Because that's what the Bible said. They shall raise the dead. And, and I'm going to prove that that's what I'm talking about. I, I'm coming to that. Just hold on to your hat. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. That just ends that section. Okay, that was back in marker. But yeah, see, they that was their confirmation. You notice that? It's confirmation. That was their confirmation that they were called of God. See, you've got to remember, who were they preaching to? The Jew. And what did the Bible say of the Jews? The Gentiles don't seek after a sign, but the Jews seek after a sign. So why did they need the Holy Ghost? And why did they need signs and wonders? They needed them so that they can convince the Jews that they had God. John 14, 12. Well, let's take a look at it. John 14, 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, wait a minute. What? works did Jesus do? That's too easy. Let's see. Um, he raised, uh, uh, what was that girl, that daughter? Jared's daughter? He raised Lazarus from the grave? 
Yeah, he raised some folks from the grave. Not every person from the grave, but he did raise some folks from the grave. Hello? He healed the sick. He didn't heal every sick person. There was probably hundreds of blind people around that temple, but one of them got, uh, got his eyes healed. There's, there was lots of people in that 5,000 that needed healing, but you could guarantee that he didn't heal every one of them. It said he healed many. It didn't say he healed all. A-L-L. It said many. M-A-N-Y. Many. That means most, but not all. There were some that were not healed because there was a purpose in it. As he said in John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, he's coming down the street with the disciples, and the disciples said, Hey, this blind guy, <laughs> who sinned, Jesus? Who sinned? Let me point some fingers. I want to point fingers. So who, who's at fault here? Why is he blind? Is it his fault or his parents? And he says, Jesus said, huh, neither one. Wasn't his parents? Wasn't his fault. But that the gift of God, uh, the, the works of God should be manifest in him. So we're saying here, Jesus said, the works that I do, raising the dead, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, all these works shall my disciples do. So, Pentecostals, you want to go off of that verse, uh, you better go to the rest of it. It says, and greater. How many dead folks have you raised, Mr. Um, Ernest Angeli? Hello? How about it, Oral Roberts? How many did you raise from the grave? I ain't never seen no headline said, Oral Roberts walked into a graveyard and, and, and raised 14 people up out of the grave. He called 14 people up and they just come right up out of there and started living and they've been around for a while. Huh? How about an Ernest Angley? How many did you raise from the dead? And so I'm not I'm not against Ernest Angley or any rest of them. I'm just saying if you're going to preach this healthy, wealthy, name it, claim it, stab it, and grab it gospel, and you're going to say that you got the gift of the Holy Ghost, you got baptized in the Holy Ghost, then why aren't you raising folks from the dead? That's what Jesus did. That's just doing the works he did. But wait a minute. He said, and greater works. Greater. Now, wait a minute. What were some of the works that Jesus did? He not only raised the dead and everything, but he got people saved. Hello? He, he got to show people how to get saved. Why ain't we even out there out there going, Hey, do you know Jesus? We're, oh, we're, we're scared to go out there and tell somebody about Jesus now. JFW has come to your door. Hey, did you know there ain't no such thing as hell? Did someone tell you there's a hell? No, God damn. Uh, excuse me, buddy. I ain't afraid to have a JFW walk in my house because I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And then when he, when he starts scratching his head wondering what the heck I'm talking about and he gets mad so he's got another appointment, well, don't be late. Because, hey, I'm going to preach the truth. Because I got something worth giving him. I ain't got nothing to fear of him. Hey, Amen. Mormon wants to come here? Hey, you're serving another Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you about the real deal. Amen. So, but hey, Mr. Uh, Oral Roberts... Benny Hinn, come on, boys. Why in the world ain't you raising folks from the dead? That's greater. That that's the same. Just the same works that Jesus did, and they ain't even doing that. Ooh, we're finding something wrong in this healthy, wealthy gospel already. Amen. We already find something wrong with it. Now let's look at another familiar passage they love to use. Third John, verse two. 3 John, verse 2. 3 John, verse 2. 
I'm going to let Ruthie read this, even though I can pretty much quote it from memory. I'm going to have her read it anyway. Third John, verse 2. Take a look at this. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Beloved, I will make you prosper and be in health as your soul's prospering. That sound familiar? That sound familiar, Ruth? It does? What I just said? Beloved, I will make you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. It's I wish, not I will. Hello, read your Bible. It don't take much. Don't take a genius to figure out I wish. Uh, let's take a look at another verse that where the word wish is used, and let's see if it means that it's something that will happen, that will occur. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Let's see what the word wish means here. For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I would. I would. I wish. See, he's saying the very same thing here. I would. I wish. Beloved, I would that you'd prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Same thing as what Paul would be saying here. The same Greek word is used. The only difference is in a different... Because Greek, many words in the English language can be used to say the same Greek word. In this case, the word would and the word wish are the same. I wish above all things. When you have a little child, and he's just learning to ride that bicycle. He's been on training wheels for, what, seven, eight months or more. He seems to be pretty steady. It doesn't seem like he needs them. You take him off the training wheels, and you say, okay, there you go. And he starts down the street, down the sidewalk, and he starts getting near that bush, and you wish to God. You are wishing to the highest degree that he won't hurt himself or scrape his knee, but kaboom, into the bush, and down he goes on the concrete. Yeah! Well, where's your wishing? Did it accomplish what you wanted? No. That didn't mean it happened, did it? No. It means you wished it was your highest hope. Like Paul was saying, I hope that I wish my highest hope was everybody was like me, a eunuch, unmarried, tried to stay single, but some folks ain't going to be able to. They got, they, they got too much of hot pants, so it's better you go and get married than burn. Amen. So that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. And he's saying here, in Third John, John wrote, and he is saying, God's highest desire is that you would prosper, means that you'd have money, and that you'd be in good health, even as your soul... As you get, when you get saved, your soul is going to prosper when it goes to heaven. Even though that's his highest desire, he knows it's never going to happen. Not for everybody. Because some folks, if you give them all the money in the world, what do they do? They run away on God. Amen. It's exactly what they'll do. Alright, now we're going to go to an Old Testament story that's very familiar. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to have Ruth read the whole chapter, but I'm going to make a mention of one specific section here. But I'm going to have Ruth read the whole chapter 3, and I want you to follow along with her here. 
Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. You notice the very first thing she did? God never said they couldn't touch that tree. But she added to God's word. Now what does it say in the Bible? If you shall add unto the words of the words of this prophecy, your names shall be, the plagues shall be added unto you that are written in this book. So first thing she did, first mistake she made, first sin that Eve did was not taking the fruit, was adding to the word of God. She added to the word, and that's exactly what the healthy, wealthy folks do. They add, and they take out the word wish, and then they add the word will. So, here we go. She's The first mistake that she made, they make today, and they're adding to God's word. And here, she added to the word by saying, God said we shouldn't touch it. He never said that. Okay, let's see what else happened here. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Now, two things. See, she first messed up by adding to God's word. Then she took away from God's word saying, well, you know, because the devil took away, said, you know, I know you're not going to die. I'm going to take away God's authority here. You know, not really. She tried it. She tested God, just like the snake handlers do, like the Pentecostals do, tempting God, saying, well, come on, God, I know you can heal me, blah, blah, blah. And then... Everybody talks about the age of accountability. You got the answer. You just read it. When are they of the age of accountability? Ruth, what did you just read? No. Didn't say nothing about 12 years old, did it? But when did they... Re what, did it, what was the first reaction that occurred when Adam and Eve knew they were naked? What did they do? They covered up. Every little kid. Go check it out. Any little kid, Jim, you'll know what I'm talking about. Every, every little kid, when they're real little, they want around, they'll run around nude and never even think twice about it. But the minute they realize right from wrong, and they know what's wrong and they know what's right, the first thing they do, they want to cover it up. They start wanting to dress up and they want their privacy. Hello? Check it out. And it's right there in the scripture. You want to know when a person's at the age of accountability? Are they willing of their own accord? Are they ashamed of their own naked body? They'll want to cover up at some point. But some have gotten so deep into sin they went the opposite way. Now they don't want to cover up. They want to show it off. So, but... The point is, technically, somewhere along the line, even then, you'll find them wanting to cover up under certain circumstances.
Yeah, they don't mind showing it off in some magazine, but sooner or later, they'll cover it up when, at other times. Why? Because they're the age of accountability, and they know it. So, let's go on, Ruthie. That's the way of human nature, precious. Amen. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Where have I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Do I go on too hard? The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sour and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and placed, excuse me, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Okay. Now, you notice something here? What was the end result of his disobedience and her disobedience? You know, of course, they had to pass the book. God comes in the garden. He says, he calls for Adam and Eve. They, they were hiding. He finally came out, admitted why he was hiding. And God said, God already knew. He says, what'd you do? Eat of the tree I told you not to eat? And he goes, yeah, well, the woman, the woman. And she goes, the serpent, the serpent. Pass the buck. But you want to know something? See, that's the next mistake they made. Pass the buck instead of saying, I was guilty. I was a dirty, rotten sinner. I did it. Yep, I'm gone. I'm, I, I, I don't deserve your grace, Lord, but I'm wrong. But you notice, what did God say? At the end of the chapter, he said, as he's talking to Adam, he said at the end, he says, you're going to till the ground. This is your punishment. And then you're going to earn your bread by the sweat of your face. Now, that don't smell so good. Hello, tall you uh, healthy wealthiers that love your perfume hello uh, check it out it says by the sweat and it don't smell so good so hey hard working folks only smell bad to those ain't got nothing better to do but stick their nose in the air amen uh, I don't have to park on that in very long 
But then it goes on to say, until you go back to the dust from which you came, till you come back to the... Hello, what does that mean? It means you're going to die physically. See, Adam was not created to die. Eve was not created to die. They were going to live forever. But when they sinned and took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it did not say it was an apple, it just says it was the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. It didn't say what kind of fruit it was. God said, hey, now that they already know what's right and wrong, next thing you know, they're going to think, and it's going to enter their heads, and they're going to go over and get from the tree of life the fruit from it, and then they'll live forever. So, let's hit him off at the pass, so to speak, and we're going to give him the boot. And then there was a flaming sword put in that garden to keep him from coming back in there to get to that tree. So what happened? He physically, not only spiritually died, but physically died. And you notice the very first gospel was preached right in that chapter. He said to the woman, Thy seed and the serpent seed he was talking to were going to have a battle. See, that was the first preaching of the gospel. And then when God, you want to see the first atonement? Look, what did God have to do to give them coats of skins? He had to kill an innocent animal. So the first atonement, the first offering was given right there. So God covered them. See, they were trying to cover themselves inadequately by the works of their own hands, the trees of the garden, the leaves. But he said, no, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So Adam physically died. Now, if the healthy, wealthy, name it and claim it, stab it and grab it gospel is truth. First off, we've already found a problem with that baptism of their Holy Ghost where that not only do they speak in an unknown tongue that, that, that's more baby talk than anything else. Secondly, not only do, they're not, plus they're not uh, doing greater works than Jesus, they're not even raising the dead. But now we find they go against the very scriptures because it says here that Adam would die. Why? Because of sin. When sin entered the world, death entered. Physical death, not only spiritual death, but physical death entered. If their gospel is truth, and everybody got healed every time they laid hands on somebody, and they got healed according to their gospel, the healthy, wealthy gospel, that means nobody would die. They'd always be healed, so they'd never get sick. And if they did get sick, they'd never die. And if they never die, guess what? The healthy, wealthy gospel would have to go against Genesis chapter 3. Ooh, do we see a problem with that picture? A big time problem. Okay, we need Philippians chapter 4, verses, verses 13 to 19. But the two key verses I want you to look at is 13 and 19. But we're going to read the whole context here. I'm a context preacher. I believe in... Uh, looking at the whole thing, but first, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 13 and 19. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Arephredus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. May go down. That sounds also familiar to my uh, text and preaching on tithing, too. See, here they were helping Paul's necessity. And it says, the very first thing it opens up with, and he says, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What was he talking about? Well, in the context, it makes it very plain that he could do all things through his infirmity. His infirmity. His illness. Hello, healthy, wealthy. Paul was not well. Paul was not perfectly healthy. Paul was saying, look, because of my bad health, because I have a thorn in the flesh, God has allowed me and given me strength through that. Well, we're going to prove what I'm talking about shortly, about this thorn in the flesh, but just hold on to your hat, Grandma. And then it goes on to say, he says, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about his infirmity. And then he goes down there at the very last verse. He says, and God shall supply all your need. 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 Well, you may need shelter. You may need a one-bedroom shelter to take care of you and your wife. But God ain't going to give you a mansion. Hello, healthy, wealthy. I'm sorry to say that. You, as, as we're going to uh, come across here pretty soon, you want to do it on your own lust. You want to be able to brag that you're better than the Joneses. Well, let me tell you something. That is very sinful, wicked, and rotten because it ain't Bible. 